0: Sala la juca, si no le voy a dar con esa.
1: Welcome to another episode of the San Antonio Soccer Roundtable. We have probably, I guess, what would be the peak of our guests that we've had on the show uh, here with us this evening. We've managed to accomplish something here with the help of Danielle and and Preston. So shout out to you guys. Thank you for that. But we've got Tim Holt here, Managing Director for San Antonio FC with us this evening. How are you doing tonight, Tim? Doing
2: fantastic, Scott. Danielle, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Been looking forward to to joining you
1: guys on the show and talking SAFC tonight absolutely you know I, I know we've always enjoyed we were talking about before you kind of came on with us running into you at the different academy matches or paint the tunnel events and it's always nice just to be able to have a dialogue with you guys and that was one of the first things that kind of struck me with the organization is just how available you guys make yourself to the fans and and thank you for making yourself available to us here on the roundtable well thanks I think that's probably one of the things that we've missed the most over the last ten
2: weeks is is the ability to to interact with our fans and, and supporters and and everyone. Frankly, it's uh you uh one of the things you never take it for granted. But when you don't have the ability to do it day in and day out, uh, you realize how how much it means and it really is the fabric of everything that we do.
3: And so, how are you as a family? You guys are all in quarantine now. So how, how are you guys handling that as a family before we dive into all the SAFC fun?
2: Thanks. Uh, l- well, like most people, I think. I have uh, three kids that are um, in various levels of, of school. Uh, my wife works from home, uh, so she's kind of used to this. She's the veteran and all that, and, and I'm trying to learn from her how you do that and keep your sanity and um, printing out a lot of lesson plans at the beginning of the week and uh, just making sure that my kids are um, – Focused on school as much as they can. Summer's coming up. So, uh, without school there, I guess they can devote themselves to playing video games, uh, full time, 24 hours a day now. Uh, but they've been good. We've, we've gotten into a new routine, which wouldn't be the routine that you would want. Obviously, socially, it's very limiting, uh, for everybody, but, uh, credit to the whole family. Uh, they've, they've, they've done a good job. And, you know, the silver lining of all this is, is that you get a lot of quality time. Uh, with each other, I think, you know, in life, you know, all of us were just running around so fast doing our, our, you know, respective things. And so to be able to eat dinner at home as a family and, and have a lot of those moments of stuff that when, when this is long gone, I know we'll look back and, and, and really savor and cherish.
1: So you said that Sarah's used to working from home. How's she doing working with you from home? I, well, I think it's she would concerned. prefer that we all are, are allowed to go back to the office as soon as possible.
2: Um, it's a bit of an imposition on her style. She she's <laughs> travels a lot for her job and um, it just is is accustomed to working at home and just being able to block out the the distractions. And it's it's different. Um, I think a lot of us that had never done that before as we've had to go in and do that, um, you know, it sounds great, but there's a lot of temptations and distractions. So to keep your focus and uh, keep things rolling is is definitely different. I think we all know what our what our, our natural inclination is. I'm, I know I'm looking forward to getting back to Toyota Field at the earliest opportunity. Just miss daily interactions with our staff. We have such a great group of people that are so committed, um, you know, on the sporting side, on the business side, on the facilities and maintenance side. It's just good people. And that's what makes this job special. So I think it's what makes this club special. It's what makes this community special. Um, so to have that taken away, um, you know, as much as it's difficult, I think you appreciate just... Uh, how good we are to to having it, how much we look forward to being able to get back into that position in the not too distant future.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's, let's jump right into it. Speaking of which, you know, talking about eliminating distractions there at the home, I'm I'm sure you're trying to eliminate distractions and and keep everybody focused there uh, from a team perspective as well. Uh, What have the last couple months been like? What type of interaction have you guys been able to have with the players as far as the leagues permitted and kind of where are we at right now? Well, I, I I've been um I shouldn't be surprised uh because of
2: the, the quality of, of the people and the professionals that we have, both on uh well on all three, the coaching side, the soccer operations support side, our athletic trainers, our equipment manager, uh staff, and the players. Uh I think we've known from January at least that we have a special group this year that, that has a great bond and a real commitment to achieving their objectives this season and um, what they've done during this period. It's been pretty remarkable um, in terms of continuing that on. Uh, there hasn't been a week that we, that the group's been disconnected. I think in the real early going, when this was all very raw and just kind of happening, it was a dial it down week. We'd come off a big high uh, in opening the season at home and beating the defending champs, Real Monarchs uh, with a really good performance. And we're looking forward to, To building on that and going to Colorado, and I think maybe 24 hours before we were supposed to go to Colorado, uh, is when this set in. Uh, So I think we took the weekend to regroup the coaching staff and uh, and myself and just try to figure out what we were dealing with here and and start looking at the next week because we didn't know how long this was going to be. But Alan and his staff um, had a plan for that next week and the week after that and the week after that. Um, And it's challenging because you're not there face to face but with the online uh, opportunities which exist uh whether it's uh, it's keeping them fit through uh you know workouts that they can do at home uh, it's challenging their brains psychologically uh different tactical exercises um that they can put them through you know while you know this group has gotten off, got off to a a good start very early um it's a, it's a group of very new pieces in terms of the players. So it's still that camaraderie building stage. And so there's been a lot of that over the last eight to 10 weeks and just getting to know one another, um, in a very different way than, you know, maybe ever before. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, where we are 10 weeks ago is not the same spot that we were in prior. Um, certainly the fitness may not be the same and the preparedness to be able to, to play a game, but that can come back in, in several weeks. We get the opportunity to, to resume the season, um, but where, where the group is in, in terms of that, and that it's a testament to everybody, the leadership of the players on the team, uh, certainly Alan Marcina, Nick Evans, Juan, La Madrid, the entire staff, uh, that, that works on that. So, uh, but we're all just very anxious to, uh, to, to get back to this and, and feel it could be a special season. And we would like to see what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of curious. You mentioned that you knew this was going to be a special team back in January, I noticed that the approach, it seems like, this offseason was a little bit different years past. It wasn't as vocal. You weren't as vocal about what you guys wanted to accomplish at the beginning of the year. Is part of that because the the goal hasn't changed and, and you guys are wanting to let the play on the pitch do the talking for you this season? Has that kind of been a, a direct approach or, or purposeful?
2: Well, I think we've always tried to be that type of uh, club. Um, you know, very ambitious. I, I think anybody that's been around us would know that you know, we, we want to be, you know, we want to accomplish, you know, everything there is to accomplish within the league and compete for championships. And um, you can say that, and and I, I think we, we need to let our actions speak for ourselves. So, uh, yes, I, th- I would tell you there was, I don't know if it was deliberate as much as it was just more focused on making sure that um, we were as prepared as we could be uh, for the beginning of the season and, and uh, just probably less, um, build up and, and more letting our, our performance speak, uh, speak for itself going into, into this particular cycle. But, um, don't, you know, that it's not because the ambition's different in year one, two, three, four or five, and and that there's not been humility, uh, throughout that period of time. But, um, it's, uh, yeah, I I I I would agree with you. And, but yet there was no meeting where everybody (laughs) sat down and said, well, we're not going to talk about it this year. You know, we're just going to do it. And, um, so it's just, again, it's so early. I feel like just getting out of the starting blocks of the season, the preseason was very positive and good. And we learned a lot. We challenged ourselves a lot um, We put together a very uh, challenging preseason where we went out and, you know, played probably more MLS teams than than we had in the past and all pro teams across the board and prepared us well, at least for the first game. Um, but in the league, the way it's grown and as competitive as it is now week in and week out, um, it was going to be good. So we're, You know, we're looking forward to be able to get back to do that. And we'll continue to hopefully allow our our performances and, and actions define what this group is ultimately.
3: And one of the big things we've heard is, and you've kind of touched on it, is culture was the big phrase that we talked about in the beginning of the season. We as fans haven't really gotten a chance to kind of embrace it or live it. What would you say over the past few weeks kind of define that culture and what can we as fans look forward to if the season does resume in terms of that change in culture?
2: Yeah, I think on the team side, uh, Alan has done a a really good job of of defining that. And I think, you know, culture gets talked about a lot, especially in San Antonio where the Spurs have sort of set, you know, what that is, if not in the NBA, maybe in all of uh, pro sports and the importance of that. As, as it relates to, to winning and having a, a winning environment and having the right people um, to facilitate winning. But really, culture is a lot less about what you say you are and you stand for. And really, it's about your actions and behaviors every day, every person every day. It's about the little things and consistently being committed to the little things and, and those actions and behaviors that, that add up. So, again, just, you know, maybe not different from what Scott was just asking, you know, it's less about how we want to define what our culture is on a PowerPoint slide than it is about how we're going to act, the commitment that we have and the responsibility that we have to one another in terms of how we all approach our roles. And every role is important. The players, obviously, that's what people see when they come into Toyota Field. But the coaches, in terms of organizing them, the team staff, the business staff, the facility staff, we all play a role in that. So we're all accountable to one another, um, and so you know, really, it's 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 if we all individually commit to you know the highest level of behaviors and actions that that we've defined as important to us being successful, that ends up being your culture, um, rather than defining what it is on the front end, um, and uh, you know, hoping that you live up to it.
1: Well, Coach, just out of curiosity, uh, you know, with, with everything going on right now, what's the commun- communication been like between the league and, and the individual teams? And how much of a voice do you guys have in some of the decisions that are being made right now? And how much of it is you guys kind of depending on USL headquarters to make the right decisions when it comes to some of these choices? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think it's times like these that you realize how important, uh, strong, cent-
2: centralized league administration and leadership is, um, you know, it when you're going through, um, you know, in any season and, and there's, there's situations and that need to be managed or that, that y- you need dealt with uh, and, and sometimes just to keep decorum amongst the league. But when you get into a crisis like this where really it has no, no precedent, sort of modern um, in our lifetimes at least uh, and certainly not in sports, then it becomes very important. I think the league from the beginning has done a good job. They don't have all the answers, uh, but they're active. They're active with the other professional soccer leagues, not just domestically but internationally and looking at what they're doing. You know, that can range anything from MLS to the NWSL to the Bundesliga uh, to what's happening in England and Korea, uh, but then also other professional sports leagues in the United States too. Um as well. So they're gathering information and intelligence to figure it out. But our environment's different than other environments. We're not a league that has, you know, a billion dollar television contract. So the dynamics of each league are going to be different. um, And therefore, the league uh, using its teams needs to come up with a solution that makes the most sense. Uh, The one thing that we've consistently heard from the league, and I think everybody's aligned on the same page, is just the decisions need to be safety and health first. We're all anxious to try to get back on a field and we want to play and it's what we do. Um, but uh, you know, you know, safety and health are going to drive any uh, decisions that get made with respect to you know to this season and its p- potential resumption. As far as the interactivity of the team, the league's used its committees. I sit on a competition strategy committee, which has met weekly since the hiatus began to let's call it model or scheme different. Uh, return to play options. There, it's an advisory committee. Um, there is a specific COVID task force of, I think, five or six team representatives, people with different expertise, either in health or legal or risk management and um, and, and different things uh, like that. That's advised the league on things like when it may be safe to return to training and how. And uh, but ultimately, these decisions get made by the board of governors, which is uh, team owners and. Uh, predominantly team owners that uh, meet with the league um, on a semi-regular basis. And so all that information kind of funnels in through there. But they've been, been very, um, uh, I'll say, open and interactive with the teams in terms of soliciting information, getting feedback, surveying us as to different things, and just doing a lot of modeling. It's a, it's a difficult job that they have. I can appreciate that. I, you know, I, I've worked in that, on that side, on the league side uh, before professionally, but never during anything like this. Um, so, and I think they're doing an exemplary job so far. And, you know, we look to their leadership to help us get through this and and through the, and to the other side.
3: You mentioned Bundesliga and that resumed this weekend. Did you watch any of the games? And if you did, can you imagine playing in Toyota field with no fans?
2: Well, I I watched the 90 minutes of the Dortmund game, which was the the first game. There were a number of first games happening at the same time, but I ended up watching that. I'll admit to you, it was probably the first 90-minute front-to-back Bundesliga game I've watched in in a little while. The level's always good. It was fun to watch um, live soccer, especially played at that level with world-class players again. It was definitely uh, a bit eerie. Uh, in terms of when the goals were scored and, and you know, it was almost like confusion whether you didn't know whether they counted and <laughs> players didn't know how to act. And um, so it was different. I can't imagine what it was like for the players. And very frequently you think about, okay, what would that look like um, in our stadium or in stadiums in our league um, to, to be able to do that? Obviously this is how the Bundesliga uh, feels like it can safely resume the competition again. The dynamics between a league like the Bundesliga and the USL are are different. Uh, to be able to do that, but um, you see, I think the biggest thing was you see it happening, and 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 it felt like uh, it felt like progress mm-hmm. uh, that it wasn't difficult to see that um, more and more of these leagues will start coming back online, and um, you know maybe ours will will be part of that sooner rather than later. So just left feeling encouraged and. Um, you know, 10 weeks without any, uh, any live soccer to watch is crazy. Not even, not even youth soccer because everything's down. You can't get your fix anywhere.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of youth soccer, we have some questions we want to ask you about the Academy and everything. Uh, But one final question that I had for you when it comes to the first team Um, I I know this season you guys had planned a lot of different theme nights. Some of those had been suggestions from fans and season ticket members like Pride Night and things like that that they had wanted to see for quite a while. Um, I know sometimes it's probably more the social media team that gets the brunt of this, but fans feel like maybe you guys don't act fast enough share with us a little bit of just kind of what that feedback process looks like as you guys gather that from your season ticket members and just how you feel like you guys incorporate that as an organization into what you try and do the following year
2: yeah so uh there are a lot of people involved um in determining those obviously our ticketing folks ticket sales um member services uh, the process is led by our, our marketing coordinator, Selena Leva, who's terrific, extremely creative, open minded. Uh, she listens and gets it. Uh, you know, you got Luis and Preston, who everybody knows that, that help guide that. So, uh, our facilities, uh, guys, Dave Susie and, and Emma Boyle. So it's, it's a, it's a very collective process. I don't believe there are too many chefs, but there's a lot of feedback. And if, 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 if uh, the feeling is, Externally, maybe that we could be quicker on doing that. I think it's it's trying to be deliberate about how we go on these things. Some of them start out as small things that might have been a group night that we figure out that there's a lot more traction than we thought there may have been in the past, and they turn into a, a full blown theme night. Um, the Pride Night was one uh, last year that a lot of you know uh, has been successful in a lot of markets um, that we did. Um, I think as a as a group night and was very successful, very well received. And responded to by fans, um, season ticket members and non-season ticket members that we this year said, you know, this is, this is, this is a theme night and we can build a, you know, an entire game presentation. What we try to do when we do these theme nights is not just have them be cosmetic where we just put that label on to try to attract people into buying some tickets and you come to the game and there really isn't anything that's unique about, uh, what the theme night was. Uh, here, but try to sort of weave that thread through all aspects of the pregame promotion, um, you know, everything that's going on off the field. Sometimes it might even involve, you know, what our guys are wearing from a pregame top standpoint, if we can incorporate that all the way through into the back end of the game. So um, I, I would tell you that, you know, we, we try to be thorough and deliberate about these. Some that we've tried in the past haven't worked and we discontinued those. The ones that have worked, we've, um, we've stuck with and we've had some new ones added in. And it's just always sometimes things just get stale. Uh, so you're constantly trying to reinvent it or, or, or do it differently um, and just see what, what sticks. So, and I think that's not just us and it's not just USL. It's, it's any, you know, professional sports team that's looking to do that. But you want it to resonate with your market and with your fans. And uh, so I, I felt really good, feel, we do feel really good about where these are. Some of them were kind of date driven. Uh, like the one that we do with the uh, fiesta and Noche de Celebración. And, um, so, uh, we're, we've been trying to figure out how we can put the jigsaw puzzle back together, <laughs> uh, in a, in a resumed season. You know, the fiesta's in November and, and all these things are there, but, uh, we would, you know, we'll figure it out if, if, uh, you know, if we can get to the, get to that point. So I think after year five, we're start we're starting to learn a few things. Our fans have been terrific. The ideas just keep flowing there's more ideas than there is capacity to be able to deliver on that stuff. And I know that disappoints people sometimes um, because there are a lot of great ideas um, and and sometimes they compete for space with one another. But, uh, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, most of the best ones grow organically. Uh, They come from supporters, they come from fans, they come from, you know, groups and and then they just take hold. So we're, we're particularly excited about the lineup that we had uh, or have this year and uh, look forward to, sort of just reshuffling the deck and, and being able to, to move forward, uh, you know, when, when we get that chance here later in the summer, hopefully.
1: Hey, we'll go with whatever calendar you guys want to uh, throw out there. <laughs> we'll call it a fiscal calendar or something like that, right? We'll make up our own. <laughs> Sounds good.
3: <laughs> well, we wanted to also talk to you about youth soccer because um, that's such a part of the SAFC culture. And the big announcement they came out within the past week, Week and a half was that SAFC Academy was also going to join the MLS Academy. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, it's an interesting um, couple months. It's It's been an interesting couple months in every way. So, you know, against the backdrop of all that we're dealing with, with the season put on pause and the hiatus, you know, our, our Academy teams have competed since the inception of the Academy and the DA. I've uh, been led by, by Nick Evans, uh, who does, you know, beyond an exceptional job of, of managing that program with a great staff of coaches that are so committed and players that are so committed and very talented from the local area and we've competed in the u.s soccer federation development academy for uh, since 2016 since we started um that season obviously went on pause when everything went on pause and then about 30 days later um you know for a, a myriad of, of reasons maybe a perfect storm within u.s soccer they announced that they were discontinuing the program, both Boys and the Girls uh, Development Academy, which was abrupt. Um, you know, I think, look, none of these things are are, are perfect and they can always be improved. And, um, you know, it was evolving and dynamic, but, uh, you know, not just for the end of the season. The season was was written off, but permanently. So immediately there's a, a pretty big void uh, out there in, in, in the landscape. There's some um, existing... You know national leagues and and properties that have gone, but it, it pretty much left left a you know a hundred plus clubs uh, marooned. Many of them are professional uh, team academies in Major League Soccer and USL and NWSL, um, but the majority are are, are private uh, clubs and academies from from around the United States. So uh, Major League Soccer actually acted pretty quickly. Um, to um, step in and say, look, this is important, not just to Major League Soccer and its clubs, but to uh, the country that we have a platform that continues to, to offer this. And ECNL was is doing the same thing at the same time. And I actually am a believer that, that that's not a bad thing, that there's multiple organizations that offer something that might be a little different, and it's just where you fit um, mm-hmm. and what best fits you um, to be able to do that. Uh, we evaluated the situation, um, and ultimately decided, along with, um, the predominance of what is the frontier division, which is the Texas clubs through into Colorado and and Kansas City to, um, join the MLS, uh, elite platform, which I don't think has an official name, uh, yet, but will be similar. I would, uh, similar in its construct, uh, to the DA. But different. And I think the biggest way that it'll be different is that it will be very, um, reliant on the clubs, all types of clubs, not just major league soccer or pro clubs to help determine competition structure rules, you know, what you can do, uh, what you, what you can't do, uh, those, those type of things. So, um, I, I think it actually has an opportunity to be a better situation. I'll make a couple more points. Um, one is the most important. Uh, driver of player development for not just SAFC for everybody is your day-to-day environment. It's the training environment. It's what we spend 90% of the time with our Academy players in that's unchanged. We'll continue to provide uh, that full-time environment uh, for our players. And uh, again, that's where we believe, um, you know, to the extent that we've been successful with this initiative uh, again, it's about the people, but it's because our environment's been there. Obviously, you need a competition platform that, that challenges you, mm-hmm. um, and allows you to play at the, at the highest levels available. And that's what we believe, uh, MLS and has put together. So a lot of conversations with them, um, you know, with our colleagues and, and, and again, Nick Evans led the, led the charge for that with us, uh, due to his relationships. And we feel very positive about the outcome. The last thing I'll say to that is USL also has used this opportunity to accelerate its uh, movement into the youth uh, development space. Uh, They've always encouraged teams to be in in youth development, but they haven't really offered that platform. As you guys know, we hosted uh, USL Academy Cup um, uh, last fall um, with the U-17s, which was a lot of fun and great, and there's a lot of talented players even within the USL that may not be that weren't playing in the DA and uh, been overlooked. So the USL is expanding that out now with a U19 model uh, that uh, is pretty exciting and will uh, really allow professional teams across all the divisions, USL Championship, USL League 1, League 2, you know, over 120 some odd teams to be able to have the flexibility in a sort of a one-size-fits-all model based off the U19 age group but allowing younger players to play up um, that is equally as exciting to what's going on. So things are really happening. Um, it's a period of change for sure, but sometimes that shakeup can be what, what's needed here. And then combine that with some of the you know, the other announcements I saw, uh, U.S. Youth Soccer, uh, in, you know, in our space, that's uh, STISA um, working with MLS to create a, a pathway of regional identification for boys and girls that will be paid for. Uh, with Pro Scouts there. That's really exciting. Wow. There's just another pathway. That's huge. Uh, and then not to be overlooked is is what's going on with the ECNL. <laughs> our affiliate club in the market, SA City, has ECNL boys um, this year, which is which is very exciting. Uh, Classics Elite plays in in the ECNL with both boys and girls. Um, and and uh, SA City also will have uh, Girls National Academy. So... Look, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to figure out with, you know, all the acronyms and, and various leagues and everything. But the one thing that you take away from it is there are more high-level soccer opportunities for kids in San Antonio than there's ever been before. Um, and and it's, it's just an exciting time. So if, if we've had a part in, in helping lead that charge, we're excited about that. Um, and our academy is, is really the soul of our club. And uh, so important it's fun to see kids like like Leo Torres uh, Jose Gallegos Ethan Bryant um, and, and many others that are now getting their opportunity uh, starts on a training basis and if they earn that opportunity we see them on Toyota field and um, and it becomes a big you know overnight great story but they work work hard for a lot of years uh, to earn those opportunities to to be there and we've got some really exciting young kids coming behind them Um the San Antonio's, uh, we're on the cusp, San Antonio from a from a player, um, from a, a hot spot for for players uh, is about to seriously make a name for itself over the next three to five years.
1: I have a question for you in that regard, Coach, or excuse me, Tim. Um, I've been called worse. <laughs> I'm so used to usually interviewing coaches. We don't usually get, you know, that C-suite level. You're doing uh, it. You're uh, going to I've been called worse. <laughs> No, I was going to ask you, you know, from an organization perspective, how much of it do you guys have to sit there and look at what you're accomplishing with the academy right now for the long-term future of the organization, and how do you prioritize going out and trying to win right now and and get that championship right Well, it's a great question. Um, For the first
2: team, it's it's about winning. It's about, you know, giving ourselves the, the greatest opportunity to win a USL championship. But we believe that you can do that. You do that with a blend of, uh, with a blend of players. Um, you know, you're not going to go out there with, you know, 11, 19 year olds and put them on the field and expect to win, but you're not going to go out there with 11, 32 year olds. So it's finding that right blend for the present and the future. And I think if you get that right, um, if it's the right players and the right player characteristics, they meet the player profiles of what Nick and Alan and their staff are looking for, then you can do all those things. Um, certainly young players learn from more experienced older players. It's just like having international players with domestic players. So, um, our group, um, is not homogenous in that respect. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's the, the roster build part, which, which Alan, uh, takes responsibility for is, is an incredibly important part of, uh, what we're doing in 2020 and then also beyond. So I want to be really clear. Any young player that comes through our academy, there's no quota system. We're not going to have one or two because we're running an academy and we need to have one or two. Every one of them has to earn it, and they earn it in in stages. They earn the opportunity to train with the first team, Um, and then they earn the opportunity to dress um, for a game. Sometimes it might be an exhibition game or an Open Cup game. Um, and then they earn the ability to be on the field. And then if their performance is good, then they earn the ability potentially to start. You saw Ethan Bryant go through all those phases. You've seen Jose Gallegos go through all those phases. Um, and there's no guarantees for any of them. But what we are prepared to do is give people opportunities that earn it. Um, and I think that's that's uh, important for young players that are hungry and ambitious, mm-hmm. uh, that there's not a barrier there. If you can perform – and you can perform at that level and you demonstrate that and you're committed to doing the right things, you will get an opportunity at this club, uh, through the academy to be able to do that. And so when we talk about pathways, which has rather become rather cliched, um, that's what a pathway is. Um, you know, legitimately having the ability to do that. And we also realize that we're not the, you know, we're not the the final stop on, on this tour, that there's, you know, hundreds of clubs in, in, in the world that are bigger than we are at least. Um, and that players have uh, aspirations of playing at those clubs as well too. So, um, but you know, we again for us it's about opportunity. It, it needs to make us better and give us an opportunity to win. Otherwise, that's not fair to everybody at the club, and it's not fair to our supporters. Um, so, but I think when we do that, we do it right, and it's with hometown kids that are coming through. It makes it extra, makes it extra special. Sure, feels that way. Um, in the building when, when, when those players have success and the team has success, um, in part due to their success.
1: Absolutely, and that's been one of the best parts about following uh, Nick Evans and Juan La Madrid and some of those coaches there on on Twitter is you see that ideology that they have of, are you a difference maker? Okay, can you go out there and play? Great. But are you a difference maker? Did you make a difference in the game? You know, And so that's one thing that you have to give credit to uh, Ethan Bryant and Leo Torres, what little we got to see of him, and Jose Gallegos is is they were all difference makers whenever they entered the pitch. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a...
2: There's an ability to play aspect and then there's a, you know, psychological and uh, aspect and, and some uh, intangibles that go uh, as part of that, too. So we've been, you know, we've been fortunate that those have been the ones that have lead, led the charge because I think they're great examples and great role models. Um, but as I mentioned before, we're equally as excited about some of the players that are coming through there and, and, and you know, want to follow in their, in their footsteps. And it pushes everybody. Uh, nobody gets complacent and it pushes everybody. So we're, we're really excited about that. Again, I, I think it, it really provides a, an, an anchor to, to everything that we do. I referred to it earlier as the soul of the club, and I, and, and I mean that. And and so, uh, and so our older academy teams now are replicating the the system of play that our first team uh, has. We built this thing organically. It started with U12s. Those U12s now are going to become U17s on this next cycle. Um, five years have gone by really fast. And um, and so we have over 100 full-time players in, in the club now and, um, and are working with, you know, working with SA City uh, to expand that pool um, even better. We really, you know, we're really excited about that relationship in terms of shared vision and, and principles and, and belief with, um, with Adriano and, and uh, mm-hmm. certainly with uh, the leadership of the club, Clarence Frankie and, and others. So it's exciting for us.
3: So as you talk about growth and kind of over the next five years, um, one of the things that kind of has been on my peripheral is the USLW or the whole um, idea of the women's soccer league. And you know, San Antonio is just such a hotbed for women's teams. You know, we have a ton of semi pro. And so one of the things we're looking we wanted to ask about is the women's league, if that is something the SAFC is looking into? Would it be involving a an academy or if you have any insight on that in general from your time at headquarters and things you've heard now?
2: Yeah, I just want to uh, manage expectations on that, but that's been something that's been of interest to us as we've looked at the, we'll call it medium to long-term club building from day one. I think for us, there's so many things that you want to do. We focused on our professional team and, and, and getting that right. And, uh, our academy building into that uh, on, on that side of it, and bandwidth can be limited. As I mentioned before, the four years we're in year five have flown by. Um, but you know I, I think all the points that you made are correct, uh, including the one that we have several groups here uh, that, that do a very, very good and excellent job of um, operating and managing women's teams. Uh, mostly through the summer summer months, and a lot of those have youth programs that um, that build up uh, to that around the around the city. I think it started with you know with one, and and now there's there's three or four of them that all do a good job in, 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 in providing an opportunity for players. Optimally, we'd love to have that same pathway on the female side uh, that we have on 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 the men's side. The dynamics and the growth of the sport at the professional level is a little different. Right now, we've got one professional league, which has is, is done a great job of being sustainable. You know, it's just like here, one challenge after the next, and we're in the middle of another challenge that they and every other league kind of need to battle through. Um, but that league's prepared to, to be able to deal with it more than it ever has in the past. So um, certainly not something that um, we would rule out. Uh, I think, you know, it's also not imminent. And uh, it is something that as, as we look at building this club out, next levels, uh, medium to long term, is something that we just need to continue to to look at in terms of appropriateness. But if we can't do it with the same level of professionalism, quality, uh, that we're doing everything uh, right now on the men's side, then I think we'd be doing it a disservice. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're not ready uh, for that to, to be able to, to happen yet. But it's uh, it's not due to a lack of interest or a lack of belief that uh, it would enhance san antonio soccer it certainly would
1: well coach i know kind of again <laughs> tim i i know kind of the silver lining in all of this uh whenever it first happened was uh, christian Pirano with uh, his injury and the time to heal and everything can you give us any insight or any news as to uh, how that process is coming along or is he in a place now where he may be ready to compete whenever the season does resume you know like you said uh you know when when you've got you know, what are we on week nine
2: or or week 10 of this to recover? It's, it's allowed a lot of guys that were dealing either with um, situations that carried over from the previous year, from the preseason to be able to heal. So we're, we're, we're pretty healthy uh, right now. We just need that season to restart and uh, be able to be able to get back and and get guys fit, um, you know, and, and, and be able to, to get after it. But uh, I would say that that definitely has been a, Plus, in terms of recuperation for several players that, you know, weren't able to take part um, in in the opener that we look at as as players that can be significantly impactful for us uh, this year. We think we have a really deep uh, team in terms of uh, quality, uh, you know, all over the field.
1: I think everyone's really excited to see uh, Pirano and Gallegos out there at the same time. So I I, I know like uh, we're we're finally ready to come back and see that now we'll take everybody's really healthy right now is a good sign. I'll I'll take it. Definitely. Well, Danielle, I I know we're kind of coming to time here with Tim. He he graciously accepted our invitation. Did you have a couple more questions or, or anything
3: like that for him before we let him get about his evening with his family there? I do. We wanted to get to know you a little better, Tim. So we wanted to do some rapid fire questions where we're going to ask you something. And then you just say the first thing that comes to your mind.
2: Okay. I'll do it. This is not a strength, Danielle, but <laughs> you, okay. you
3: can do this. I have faith in you. All right. Ready? Ready. Okay. Favorite color blue favorite player to watch. Messi. What position did you play? A
2: lot of them. Uh, mostly outside, uh, left, attacking mid, uh, sometimes as a 10.
3: What has been your favorite show to binge watch in quarantine?
2: Uh, Schitt's Creek. Good one.
3: Favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite vacation spot?
2: Anna Maria Island, Florida.
3: I've never heard of that. Favorite food? Pizza. And last one, who's the goat?
2: Who's the goat?
1: Quick,
3: quick! Sarah Holt. Well answered. Good answer. Good answer.
1: Tim holds the goat with that one right there.
3: (laughs) Except for 10 weeks of having you at home.
1: That's right. (laughs) Well, Tim, thank you again for joining us. Uh, We appreciate you coming on and and just having the discussion and everything, and looking forward to seeing you guys back out there at Toyota Field soon, hopefully. That's
2: great, guys. Really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to seeing you there as
1: well.
3: Excellent. Thank you.
1: All right. Stay safe. For those of you all tuning in, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some more San Antonio soccer news. That was uh, Tim Holt uh, on with us on Monday night with uh, Danielle and I. And uh, Danielle, uh, I guess we'll uh, welcome you in first, our uh, resident women's game expert and uh, FIFA rule book referee, knowledgeable uh, co-host as well. Um, what'd you think of the uh, interview with Tim?
3: I really enjoyed it, and um, I always enjoy talking with Tim. He's always um, so forthcoming and um, just articulate. So I love hearing his, his view on things. Um, and I think there was some things that we haven't really heard much of before. I think it's the first time I've heard anyone from SAFC or Spurs Sports and Entertainment address anything on the women's side of things. Um, Cause we, we've kind of been hinting at it and, and, you know, I'll send an email and it's, we have no comment at this time. Um, so it was good to see that they're, they're talking about it. They're engaging in the dialogue. Um, it's something that they're looking into and I know for any team right now, um, it's something that, you know, you've got to plan for, um, and it's probably on the back burner with COVID-19, so it's probably derailed some plans, but I'm excited to see that it's in the process and I think, um, it would really do well in San Antonio. Our women's soccer always does well, always attracts a crowd, um, And we have plenty of people who would want to come see. So um, that was probably the one main takeaway that I was super excited about.
1: Well, uh, Rafa there with the beard. You guys might not recognize uh, our coach of the show uh, down there in the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, Looking good there, buddy. I know you were probably most excited to hear the uh, news about Christian Pirano. Uh, Wouldn't tell us 100% that... He's healthy, and he's going to be back, but, uh, you know, did did go ahead and give us the nod that everybody's in, in pretty good shape, which I imagine is the case for a lot of teams in the league. How are you doing? Yeah,
0: that was kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess, with this time off. A lot on the heels, so we're hopeful the season starts soon, because I'm sure, his, I think he's itching to, to get on the field and, you know, and add to that fart, you know, pretty much that far part we have up front, so, you know, with the, with the new forwards and, uh, like I said with uh, with Jose, and mm-hmm. so it, it looks good for us. We, we'll see what happens. Like I said, if we do get to play, if we get to go to back to the games, so, I mean, I don't mind if they do what the Bundesliga does, unless we see live soccer. That's all. That's all I care right now.
1: We're ready. I, I know Harry down there there is ready as well. Our uh, UPSL, lower league uh, expert and scarf connoisseur, as you can see, building back there. Pretty soon going to swallow you up. That's not a virtual background. Uh, that's a, a <laughs> real collection. Uh, any bombs or any takeaways? What would you think of the interview with, with Mr. Holt?
4: So I thought it was awesome. And, and a little bit backstory here is, um, I know Scott and Danielle and Tim and Preston, you know, uh, worked back and forth to make sure that the interview happened. So uh, kudos to all four of you and, and Luis as well here. I'm assuming you had to play a part as well. Uh, so like I so said here, I thought, uh, you know, just the the, the three of you, uh, you know, was a perfect way to do that interview and, and kudos to both you and Danielle for uh, the questions that you asked and, and, and the pace of the interview. It was, it was a job well done by you guys and, you know, of course, Tim, Tim is Tim, you know, always approachable, <laughs> always, always got to answer that sort of answers the question, but also is kind of the bland question here. So, you know, but uh, I did think there was some nuggets on there. You know, I know Danielle mentioned the women's team. Um, he mentioned it's on the medium to, to long term track. So it's not something that I think um, to expect next year and next, you know, you know, in the next couple years it's something that I, I think that could be fast-tracked depending on, you know, you know Success. conditions and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the academy discussion was, was awesome. Um, also, I, you know, I thought it was interesting where he mentioned that Coach Marcina is the one that's making the decisions um, on, the, on the personnel, which, you know, was kind of still undefined. It's mm-hmm. what we assumed, but, you know, it was nice stuff, you know, for him to, you know, kind of give that little bit of nugget. But uh, like I said here, I just want to, you know, say thank you to you know, SAFC, Preston, Tim, you know, for, you know, for making it happen and, and a kudos to you and Danielle for uh, the questions on the interview. Right. I, you know, I thought it was real top notch and, and, and real professional, uh, you know, well done guys.
1: Well, we had a great time and we look forward to uh, hopefully continuing to, you know, be able to, to have uh, different players and coaches and personnel on uh, throughout the season and everything. And it's just the perfect timing. So I know uh, everybody's looking forward to trying to get everyone back to Toyota Field. Um, but there's some other news going on right now, kind of uh, not entirely up to what the league decides, uh, more up to the players with uh, what's going on. What's up? AJ uh, with uh, their uh, <laughs> that pers- was AJ. <laughs> I-, I thought that was AJ uh, with their personnel decisions. Uh, walk us through the USL player agreement right now that's going on, Harry. We had a proposal from the USLPA. Uh, tell us what that proposal
4: looked like. Let's start there. So it's kind of gone back and forth. So originally, in uh, on, let me pull it up here. Make sure here. So the original uh, request was, um, you know, know, was number one, uh, wants to change the current contracts to insert a return to work protocols and a a force manure clause, which uh, protects the league if if play resumes or if the season is called. Because right now the current contract. Um, I guess the players are paid whether they play or not, mm. um, you know, for that here. So, and, you know, and then at, originally they were asking um, a pay cut down to as low as 1500 a month and a play resumes incremental cuts of 20% above as low as 1000 to as much as 80% on earnings 4000 per month after the first $1,000. Um, the USLPA... Uh, I guess was a little irritated with the offer, came a little bit uh, without discussion. Um, but I thought they responded pretty well, you know, where they mentioned that, hey, they understand the role within the second division ecosystem and mm-hmm. in, in of how unstable it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they countered with a 10% cut in the remaining salaries of over 2000 in a month. But in order to do that, they were wanting the league itself to match the, the, the player's salary cuts. And what that means is it's the owner. So new rock, you know, soccer holdings was going to return some of the money that they have collected back to the league to kind you know, so that way the league was still holding and, and still healthy. Um, an agreement from clubs to a minimum salary of 20,000 beginning in 2021, which is one of their big talking points. And, and uh, for that here, and the league to incre- agree to increase its bargaining frequency to every 14 days until the uh, you know agreement is reached, um, you know for that. So I think pretty pretty reasonable. Um, I know later this afternoon, Athletic came out saying that uh, you know that uh, US you know, USL HQ uh, countered back saying 30 uh, uh, from you know from people that are making fifteen uh, hundred a month, which. You know, you know. In my opinion, it's kind of short-term thinking because basically they're they're talking about for every five hundred dollars a player makes, the league wants back one hundred and fifty dollars. They didn't agree to the minimum salary, uh, you know, along those lines, and they didn't. You know, I didn't really see the the fourteen days. You know, the the agreement for the frequency. Um, But to me, you know, like I said, it comes down to. You know, I know Jeff Reuter from The Athletic kind of posted this and tweeted on this as well. Is um, USL HQ's done a very good job, um, with the PR, um, you know, machine, you know, that they've built. But this is something that if they keep looking just short term, it's something that could hurt their long term vision, which, which I agree. And, and, and like said here, um, you know, you know, I think in the article it said there was five players in the entire league that was making more than a hundred thousand. Um, so it's you know it's you know, we all know that you know the players aren't making a whole lot. Uh, so it's it's something that it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, well, I think Harry, they have me- to come up to agreement.
1: Let me ask you this. Right now, um, aren't the players kind of in the process, in the USLPA, in the process of trying to negotiate certain health benefits and and medical coverage and Mm -hmm. and some pretty other key components? You mentioned that 2021 uh, Mm -hmm. key milestone there. That's when they're trying to get all of these new medical coverages in place as well, right as before that 2021 season. so.
4: Yeah. And, and I, I don't think the league from my understanding really has a huge issue with the, with the medical side of it, you know, cause you don't hear any sticking points on that. Now, of course, it's a give and take, you know, having following, you know, followed NFL and major league baseball and NBA uh, you know, issues like this that, you know, are, you know, are, that are over millions of dollars in, in benefits. Um, I think, you know, basic health, the housing, um you know, there's been reports that you know food's involved, but you know, food maybe two two times Monday through Friday, only two times, one time on the weekend. You know, where these are professional players, so you figure that they're eating what three, you know, at least minimum three times, you know, three times a day. So, um, it's one of those where I think you're going to see some give and take on each side. Um, you know, I kind of sent out a tweet saying, "Hey, you know, with the players having a little bit of." of Power position right now you know with 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 the holdout where because the players don't have to do anything they could just stay static. that's an important and, point and they're they still, get paid they're regardless paid.
1: that's a good price right, so yeah. they have all the leverage
4: well i wouldn't say they have all but you know said here they, they have probably the most leverage that they've got that they've right never now sure sure so it'll be interesting to see how far that they push it and um you know, it's, but, you know, like I said here, CBAs aren't easy. You no. know, rich people want to keep their money and, you know, the, you know, you know right or wrong players, you know, unfortunately are, are you know, they, they come and go. And, and I think the, I think the leads somewhat takes advantage of that. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way or, you know, you know, say, you know say anything along those lines. But um, if player X won't sign for X dollar amount, they'll go, go get player Y. Um, you know, who to, to will do it. So, um, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the issues, but uh, I'd be interested in kind of Danielle's and Rafa's thoughts on it, you know, you know, as well, just, you know, for the fact that it is the hot topic right now, you know, really in soccer here in the United States, because I know MLS is, they have a CBA. Um, it's not signed yet, I don't believe, but it seems like they're, work, they're working a little bit closer compared to, you know where right now that USLPA and USLs kind of you know you know you know their their uh, underwears uh, starting to show as far as in the public as far as you know what's good and what's bad between
3: them. I don't think there's a, a, a perfect answer. Like there's no there's no good answer because y- you have a dichotomy of clubs. So if this was MLS where you could say literally there's billion dollar owners they have television contracts. Mm-hmm. That are worth millions of dollars that are invested into these clubs. That's one thing. And then you can just, you know, hey, let's just get another investor. You know, throw a couple million my way. Mm-hmm. We can pay, we can pay the players. You know, we we've talked about before and we look across the league. There's teams that are no longer with us because they they can't afford it. And we're still talking about a league where it's still growing, it's still the teams are still stabilizing. Um, and they rely heavily on door sales and merch sales. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So the hard part is, is if you don't have the revenue coming in, how do you make these payments? You know, so you could, the players could stick with their guns and say, yes, this is what you agreed to. This is what you owe me. But then on the flip side, they could go, well, I'm bankrupt. See ya. Bye. You know, I, I, I can't afford to pay you. Um, so the player, yeah and so but there's the flip side to it on the on the player side where some of them are negotiating for just housing you know like that's that's all they're being paid they're getting free room and board and and that's it like so that may be all that they're getting paid but this is their dream so there's there there's good on both sides and there's bad on Mm -hmm. both sides and I hate that it comes down to this, but I hope that both of them can find like a middle ground Mm -hmm. so that we can have these teams survive. These players can keep playing, whether it's this season or next season. Um, We don't have teams go under because COVID-19 wiped them out. Um, But we also do need to be fair to these players who, I I don't know about any of you, but if you think about if you got paid $1,500 a month, um, What what does that cover? You know, yes, maybe they're getting their their housing paid, but food, clothes, you've got a car, you've got car insurance. If you don't have health insurance provided by the league, now you've got to pay for health insurance, and that is not cheap. So $1,500 goes so quick. So um, I get it. I hope that they can do it, though, in a non-negative social media way.
1: Rafa?
0: Uh, same, same thing. Hopefully they do find a medium on that, and, you know, the health insurance will be great for them. I'm just wondering to see if the league's going to find other ways as far as revenue, um, like, you know, how MLS has the TV rights and mm-hmm. so forth. I think maybe that's something USL should look into is getting some type of TV rights so they can get some of that funding to help pay for these players and also offset, you know, cost of you know, for these salaries I think the big difference with MLS and USL is MLS has all those designated players, those making way above, mm-hmm. and won't have that same problem here at USL. So, I'll, I'll, but I do like to see maybe the USL try to get a deal, like a TV deal. I mean, why not see the USL games more on? I don't know if they have on ESPN Plus, but mm-hmm. you know to see more games on, on ESPN on um, two. Sure. Or even on news and, and get revenue for that. So something like this, so they can actually still pay off. And then we don't lose teams in the near future.
1: And, and who knows what those contracts look like with the ESPN Plus. They may be locked into that platform and, and not have that option, you know, especially once these leagues resume because you're going to have baseball and, and a lot of things that have been on pause, you know, all kind of at the same time. So competing for TV airtime is going to be tough. But, you know, you, that's a great point you bring up. I, Tim Holt mentioned during the interview, you know, that unfortunately the USL doesn't have a huge TV deal like mm-hmm. what the MLS does. You know, when he was going through kind of how they're different from some of these other organizations and other leagues. But they are a lot more dependent, um, as, as y'all have all said, on the, on the ticket sales and, and people out there at the gates coming into the, the matches than I think what uh, some of the other sports franchises are.
0: Uh, Cause who's to say that we don't you don't get to get back to the family won't we'll get back till maybe 2021 or or beyond. Don't
1: say that, Rafa. We yeah, already yeah, lost exactly. high school. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, because <laughs> like, you know,
0: like yeah, what I'm here. Like I said, it's it actually funny that you mentioned that. Like even for like the high school and like, like other sports, like those fall sports, you know, they're not anticipating having fans at those games, and that's something that USL kind of really needs to consider. Say hey, well, we're not gonna have fans. We do need to generate some, uh, you know, revenues. So we do probably need to uh, get those these TV deals to, to keep us afloat and keep these teams. I'm sure I like the teams, like the two teams, are should be fine. But if you look at teams, so maybe like Hartford or, or maybe them, like maybe Tulsa, or, or OKC. You know, they're not affiliated with an MLS team or even us. Well, us because we have the Spurs Spurs ownership you know those ownership groups may not have enough money to keep those teams afloat for next
4: year. Well, I don't think it's about enough money. I think it's do they want to invest the money? Do they Take see the do, loss? Do they see the return that that benefits them? Because I I know Tulsa's got new new ownership. You know, so I'm not too concerned about them. Oklahoma City, Colorado Springs got the stadiums that, that are you know coming. So you know they're gonna they're gonna stick it out. You know for that. But there's still some league, you know, teams. You know, Bobby Epstein up in in Austin, uh, you know, with the Bold said, "Hey, if we can't have fans come back, what's the use of playing?" So you've already got one owner, and I know his situation's a little bit more unique with Austin FC coming next year and stuff like that, right? But there's already an owner on record saying, "Hey, if we can't have fans come back, you know, what, what, you know, is it really worth coming back?" And you know, but then I think you got some of the you know, the Phoenix Risings, the San Antonio's, you know, you know, the the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the Louisville city that, uh, have the cash that are, you know, big clubs that will it hurt? Yes. But I think they're in a better position, you know, to come back and play. And to me, it kind of comes back to, you know, you mentioned generating, you know, income along those lines to me, I think that's going to be coming, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, you know, more merchandise, more, you know, you know more hate in order to watch it, you know. Shoot more um, scars for more
1: matches. <laughs> more <laughs> we've been scars. asking for those.
3: Oh, I think that's <clears> a <throat> great segue, Harry, because let's talk merchandise for a hot minute.
4: Um, so F- we, I, we lost the bet because oh. it was over the minute. I so, took the uh, over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I put the under.
3: Um, I've been so good. I think I had to prove you wrong. So, um, let's talk about how NWSL has owned, in the U.S. right now, I would say they've owned the merchandise game. Between the Red Stars dropping their kit, which was awesome, and I was, like, ready to hit buy, and then today the Portland Thorns dropped theirs. Holy crow. This was, like,
1: when you talk about a
3: kit that is made for a city, completely original, designed specifically for them. These are some hot kits. I ordered the black one with the roses um, so that I can wear it to an SAFC match and because I spill things. But I also love the white one with the thorns. Um, so if there's any sugar daddies who maybe um, are following me, maybe you've got a secret crush. Um, I really like the white, <laughs> white ones jersey too. Just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> But I really think that people should be looking at them as this is how you come up with really good, high-quality merchandise and then market it. Um, and I can guarantee they're, they're generating good revenue um, right now to be able to pay their players. Because right now the Thorns probably have some of the highest-paid players. I mean, they've got Sinclair. They've got they just got Becky Sauron. I mean... Um, they got Lindsay Horan, Tobin Heath, Megan Klingenberg.er I mean, you're talking about an all star crew. I also really want to see them play in these uh, because I think they could have a really killer, um, killer season with that lineup.
4: Well, you're going to be able to see that. What in June they're having the in uh, WSL. Uh... Utah tournament, right?
3: I don't know that it is completely confirmed. I think it is one of the best ideas. And um, I follow Meg Linehan. So if you are a fan of women's soccer, Meg Linehan with The Athletic is awesome and is usually like the front of everything. Yeah. So she said that it is basically like the best idea. There's just no confirmation and like planning
4: stages. Well, I yeah. think it's gone beyond that because they're talking about where it's going to be between Rio Tinto and uh, Real Monarch Stadium, talking about the first three games are going to be played at the Real Monarch Stadium and, the, and then, you know, Rio Tinto and then the quarterfinals and, and finals would be played at uh, Rio oh. Tinto. So, you know, from the article, I think it was from Athletic, uh, if memory serves me correctly, this afternoon. I think it's further along than what we anticipate. One thing that I wish, and like I said, I almost, you know, sent the tweet out to you and, and Marissa, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, you. San Diego Loyal, uh, you know, for that here is, is what I would love to see it is having maybe, you know, an invitation to we'll a few UWS teams or, you know, WPSL teams. And I know that's probably a little bit hard this year. Um, you know, especially where, you know, UWS is already you know, canceled and, and or not UWS, but WPSL is already canceled. Uh, UWS is still trying to trying to, you know, play play a partial season or, or a late season for that. Here's you know, from my understanding. So I think that would be kind of awesome to have maybe one or two teams, you know, from, uh, you, know, you know, let's say if it was just the winners of, of the UWS and uh, you know, WPSL to invite them. Um, but you know, et cetera. Obviously, that's probably not going to be for this year. But I would love to see this on an annual basis. You know, you know, oh. you know, where you have that.
3: You mean like the Open Cup for women?
4: That would be an idea. But uh, we can we can you know cover it under you know this little tourney. Uh, you know, and just have it at a set site for a couple of weeks and and go from there. But that's just my idea.
1: Well, there's talks of like uh, some UPSL and NPSL teams uh, maybe trying to do something similar like here in the state of Texas. So kind of perfect segue before we wrap up the episode uh, with the uh, Tim interview. Uh, We're thinking about getting these back to uh, every week again so that we can kind of at least discuss some of these different topics that are going on, try and have guests on, do some more interviews, things like that. So if you guys tuning in have any suggestions of people you'd like to see on the show or people you think whose story we need to tell, definitely shoot us a message and uh, reach out to us, let us know, add us on Twitter or uh, Facebook, and uh, we're happy to uh, look into some of those things. But there's some uh, some news here in UPSL, Harry, um, on a season that they're hoping to resume play Walk us through kind of any other updates right now for some of these other teams, or just kind of let us know where things stand uh, for some of those lower league teams here in San Antonio.
4: So late last week, UPSL National announced that uh, the league was going to be coming back June twentieth, um, and like I said, it was going to be open to the local, um, you know, states that you're in, and to you know comply with <laughs> with safety through it. Um, I tried reaching out to UPSL Central, uh, you know, you know, office there, um, you know, you know, reached out to a couple of the uh, San Antonio teams um, just to kind of say, hey, are, are you playing right now? There's no confirmed San Antonio teams. Um, I know Bell County's already, you know, you know, you said that they're they're not going to play. And, and you kind of wonder how smart it would be for them to play. Uh, and how many are actually going to play, number one, is, uh, you know, we're, what, less than, or we're what, 30 days from it. Um, teams haven't had tryouts, teams haven't had practice. Uh, there, there's, we don't even know what teams are involved. Um, so, to, you know, so for to say, hey, it's gonna start on June 20th, I think that's, you know, I think when I went to the website, there's, you know, some teams in Florida that are playing, but I think, you know, for us here in Texas, I think it's still be, uh, to be determined to, number one, see who is going to be, you know, in the league. Um, and number two, if it actually does play. And, you know, I know they mentioned that there's no national tournament. So it's one of those where you're really playing just it. to play.
1: Right. Champions of the regions are going to split it. And then yeah. my, my understanding, too, was part of the issue was that um, they didn't really communicate that that was the plan to resume play on June 20th. With some of the different teams, it was announced kind of more just as a matter of fact, not really communicated out beforehand. So again, just kind of communication, I think, maybe being part of that. But to your point, Harry, tryouts is tough because a lot of this happened, as you mentioned. You know, teams had had maybe one tryout, or maybe they were planning to have their tryouts. You know, for the upcoming weekend when everything happened. So trying to field a uh, team and everything and get back into playing shape in in quite a short amount of time is going to be a little bit difficult, but we'll have to wait and see. And as far as any other leagues right now, so far, no cancellations, but no real start dates or contingency plans that we've seen. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, I think the rumor is is, is MLS is shooting for last week in June. Now they're still kind of toying around uh, with, you know, a Florida camp. Along those lines, um, I know USL's toying with, you know, they were looking at maybe having, you know, at a, at a hub site. I think Tucson was named, um, but, you know, the price to even do that was fairly expensive to be able to do. Um, I think if USL does come back, you know, it's going to have to be very regionalized. I think you're going to have USL championship and in USL League one. Uh, I don't gallery. know. Though. Do you
1: think they give those teams in USL League One the chance to compete in the USL Championship for free?
4: I think they do for this year.
1: Because what's the isn't the buy-in right now for a USL Championship team about ten million somewhere ten between?
4: million, but. It's one you know, if if you don't do that, how are you not going to play USL League, League One? That
1: that's going to be difficult. I don't disagree with you, but I so just, that's
4: that's how you play USL League One and USL Championship, right? We, so and it, and it depends on how they do it, you know, because I've heard from other Cause teams. Let's say a team out. like
1: North Texas SC makes a deep run and, and beats some teams like San Antonio FC and everything like they didn't have to pay $10 million to get to compete against all these USL championship teams. And with those USL championship TV deals and that USL championship exposure, I just think that's hard from a league standpoint to incorporate both of those together. I, I do think it's hard to have I, a
4: league. I, one. Season. I don't. And the reason why is because I know Jake Edwards and he said this publicly and, and he keeps saying it more publicly. He wants pro rail between league one and championship. And I think this member eventually we, you know, was, when I you it get, sooner than what you think based on what he's talking about, because he's, he, if League One had twenty teams or fifteen teams in it, I bet you we have pro stable row right teams. Now.
1: You still have three teams, right? In the last year, or two years from USL Championship that folded. So I yeah, think he's I'm looking like, for maybe four or five years of stability before that's I, even a consideration. I don't th-
4: it has to be sooner than that, I think, but. That's a whole separate whole another separate here.
1: discussion. So bookmark this episode. We'll go back to it four or five years from now when that's a read. No, I'm just kidding. That would be two or three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, big shout out to uh, Preston. Thanks again to Tim Holt. Let's get into our uh, final thoughts for this show and uh, put a bow on it. Rafa, you haven't had a chance here in a little while, buddy. We'll start with you.
0: Uh, just final thought. Just uh, like I said, everybody, just stay safe. Be smart. You know, take your precautions. I know it's a big weekend. You know, the Memorial Day weekend. Um, also, honor. I guess our all soldiers. You know, those those who have served. A big honor to them. just like I said, just be safe. You know, if you go anywhere, just get some hand sanitizer and keep your mask close by. And then, looking forward to for some more Bundesliga soccer.
1: Yes. <laughs> so this,
0: yeah. So there there were some pretty good games last this past Saturday. I don't mean it's got ticked out uh, Got
3: that's what um, you have.
0: Frankfurt, right? Half, so. For Frankfurt. Yeah, I'm surprised we don't have their their jersey style. So How the, <laughs> the vertical stripes? Like so so we're looking forward for that. And then hopefully like I said, pretty soon, you know, USO gets it going and so is some of the other lower leagues then and, and like I said, we hope hopefully you guys get to check us out you know pretty soon as
1: well. All right. Well, Harry, how about you, buddy? Uh, what are your final thoughts for tonight?
4: So I got two of them here. Uh, first of all, you know, I think uh, we would Oh, go ahead, Daniel. No, Once I'm coming for you. Okay.
3: Once.
4: So first of all, I uh, want to say, uh, you know, I'm very happy that uh, Mr. James Hopes is out of the hospital, that he's semi-recovered here. Uh, in, in my opinion, he's uh, one of the godfathers of, of San Antonio soccer. Uh, you know, and, you know, as Rafa mentioned here, um, you know, just, you know, we all, you know, know James one way or another, and, you know, very thankful that, that he was able to pull through, uh, number two, with it being a national mental health awareness, um, you know, make sure that, you know, you're looking out, you know, not only for adults, and we tend to focus on that, but also, you know, focus in on your kids, uh, you know, like I said here, it's, it's something that, you know, you know, they don't have the normal outlets that they have right now. So just make sure you're keeping an eye on them and and looking out for them and making sure that you have those avenues to make sure they understand that, you know, they can either speak with mom and dad or, you know, grandma, grandpa, you know, the neighbor down the street, if they need to, you know, need to have, you know, some sort of outlet to speak, you know, just for the fact that, you know, we're, what, two months in, you know, since they've been able to, you know, be with friends and stuff like that. So with that being national, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month here, you know, please, you know, look out, you know, for that. And thank you, of course, to the, you know, you know, all the people that are taking care of us, you know, the the know grocery stores, the, you know, the nurses and doctors, you know, for that here.
1: You know, it's so funny you say that, Harry, just because when we were talking with Tim, before we even got the interview started, that was one of the first questions he asked me was how my kids were doing with everything right now. And, you know, it just kind of hit me at first, like, He's asking about Delaney and, and Wyatt. So it just goes to show you, you know, the type of person that he is and everything and just ties in directly with what you're talking about right now. So uh, what about you, Danielle, final thoughts for uh, tonight's episode?
3: Um, I miss all of you and seeing real people um, face to face and having these conversations over some brats and beer at a tailgate Um, but I also want everyone to continue to stay safe. So continue to educate yourself on what's going on. There's a lot of people saying things that may not be true or correct. So just educate yourself. Um, even though things are opening up, be smart, um, about what you do and where you go. And I know we have a lot of people who believe different things, but just be smart. There's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, keeping your distance. Maybe, maybe, you know sending a an air fist or doing a little wakanda love um, so just be smart out there um, and and kind of going along the, the note of um between memorial day and um, national mental health awareness and i think according to hulu is also pan asian american heritage month so um just remember all of these these people and these individuals represented um, in this month. So um, give people a hug. I'm sure you parents are sick of your kids. It's been two months. And I'm sure there have been moments where everyone has blown up at each other. Um, but just take some time to hug everyone. Um, kids, hug your parents. Hug the pets. Um, you know, just spread the love.
1: All right. Well, I guess for my final thoughts, uh, be on the lookout. We got some cool stuff planned that we're working really hard on right now. So that's all I'm going to say about that because uh, we want to get some more stuff done before we put anything out there. But we're hard at work behind the scenes on uh, some cool little projects right now. Uh, Other than that, again, thanks, Tim Holt, for coming on. Uh, Rafa, Harry, Danielle, thanks for being a part of the roundtable. We'll see you guys here probably next week uh, with another guest, potentially. So you never know. Give us a follow. Uh, This has been the San Antonio Soccer Roundtable. What's life without goals? We out. Peace.